Well, before we begin this morning's message, I, uh, I want to say thank you. Thank you to you as a congregation, to my church family, for all your support during my mom's battle with cancer and her recent death. Mom died on July 31st, and um, Rupali and I went out to be with Dad. And Dad is doing okay. Dad is a strong, uh, sturdy German man, and he's hanging in there. Uh, but we are grateful to you for your cards, for your prayers, for your concern. Um, just, it's a time like this, it's so wonderful to have a church family. So thank you all very, very much. Well, today we're going to continue in our sermon series entitled Bedrock. And in this series, we're looking at our church's core commitments. Those are those things that we are passionate about as a congregation. Those things that uh, get us up in the morning, that focus our efforts And we began the sermon series several weeks ago with Ash McDonald looking with us at the Great Commission. And there you will recall Jesus' great words at the end of Matthew's Gospel, sending the church out to make disciples of all nations, to to build the church. Uh, Since then, we've looked at values like Jesus, the center of our life together. Leadership, making disciples uh, for next generations to come. And then, of course, we looked at Boulder and beyond, how we start in Boulder and we minister there, but also Boulder County and wherever God has placed us. Well, today we're going to look at another core value, and it's multi-generational community. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Multi-generational community, but that is bedrock for us. And to help us think about this, we're going to look at two illustrative texts, one from Acts, the other from the first letter of John. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, and I'll set the context. As you may recall, it is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter or Passover. And as promised, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to fall upon the apostles. And there was a rushing wind, there were tongues of flame, and that's why we have our big banners up here, our our drapes, uh, to remind us of the tongues of flame. And then Peter says that what's occurring is actually a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, there's a description of what God is doing to build the church. Listen for multi-generational community in what I'm about to read. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Our next text is from 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. John is addressing the multi-generational church community of his day, and here he has these words. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his, Jesus' name. I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we gather in your name and we are thankful that you are in our midst, forming us, uh, 
forging us into a tighter community day by day, would you now help us attend to your word as we hear it proclaimed. In your name we pray, amen. I once heard a well-known preacher begin his sermon with these words. He said, I'm all about relationships. I love them. It's just people I have a problem with. (laughs) Can you relate to that? You know, relationships are messy, particularly in our families, including the church family. We're a mixed bag, full of highs and lows, intimacy and irritation, hopes fulfilled and hopes dashed. The family has its gifts and its challenges. Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, as my mom's health declined and as she's died, I've been thinking a lot and reviewing my life with her and with my family of origin. And I'm remembering tender moments and conflicts, great gifts and legacies, as well as frustrations and missed opportunities. I'm learning that grief is complicated because families are complicated. Again, can I get an amen? Amen. I think if we're honest, we can all agree that families are a mixed bag, but God births us in families. And families are God's chosen vehicle to grow human beings in human community. It's always been that way. Literal biological families and spiritual figurative families like the church. This is God's intended way of building human community. Think of it. The Bible and the book of Genesis opens with a story of a family. A biological one. Adam and Eve, their sons Cain and Abel. And by Genesis chapter 3, we see that family split down the middle by sin. Adam and Eve accusing each other, distance forming. We see Cain killing Abel, and then we see this terrible pattern of sin in the family just ripple outward to all the successive families. And 11 chapters are just this tragic, sad development of broken families. And then it continues with Noah's family. Noah's family is marked by dysfunction and sexual impropriety. And then finally God intervenes, chapter 12 of Genesis. And God does this by calling one man out of Mesopotamia. His name is Abram, exalted father. And God promises to Abram to grow his family so large that it will bless all the families of the earth. And Abram becomes Abraham, the father of a multitude. And so the story of Israel begins, a story of a family to redeem all families. Now, let's be clear. Strife and alienation, all of these things continue through the Old Testament. Abraham betrays his wife Sarah to Pharaoh. Isaac plays favorites with his sons Esau and Jacob. Then Jacob and his mother Rebekah scheme to get Esau's birthright. Then Jacob plays favorites with his 12 sons, and family problems continue. You get the picture. Fast forward. We get to the time of the priest Eli, and he raises two scoundrel sons, and Israel's life is threatened as a result. And then there's Samuel doing virtually the same thing with his kids. And then there's David, my goodness, King David and his family. Wow, adultery and alienation and estrangement with children that end up in civil war for Israel. You get to Solomon and his broad blended family and all the mess that occurs after that. And finally you get to the book of Kings 
And there, the story of the kings is this long litany of kings who are unable or unwilling to transmit the faith to their children, and their kids become worse, and uh, Israel is led into uh, apostasy and idolatry. The point is, in the Old Testament, God is in the business of blending and, and healing the human family, and it isn't easy, because he's got to use regular families to do it. The church and the family itself is a messy, broken group of people. And it's hard work mending a family. But God is committed to it. All of Israel's failings then set us up for the Jesus story in the New Testament. In Jesus, with God as our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ as our brother, Christ's church becomes the new family of God. The family is a mix of old and young, men and women, people of all ages and stages. And Jesus made this clear in his teaching and example in the Gospels. Let's think of just a few examples. Jesus said that in Luke, in Luke's Gospel, all kinds of people would come from east and west and north and south. All kinds of people would come to dine at the family table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, all the peoples of all ethnicities, all races, all cultural backgrounds would come and be at the family table with the people of Israel. And that's what made me think of our beautiful picture over here. It's dark right now, you can't see it, but I urge you to go get a good look at it. But that's what we're talking about, this family table of God being forged in Jesus Christ. Let's think of some other examples. Jesus was indoors teaching his disciples, and someone came along and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sisters, they're outside. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? And he turned to his disciples and he said to them, Behold my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. All who do the will of God, these are my family. A little bit later, Jesus uh, overheard his disciples debating among themselves for positions in his kingdom. And he had to remind them that they had one rabbi, Jesus, one God, their heavenly father, and that they were all one family. Then in a most memorable moment, when Jesus is on the cross, remember this, in John's Gospel, he looks down and he sees his mother, and he sees the beloved disciple John, and he says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Even in that moment of greatest stress, Jesus is creating family, family of non-biological people. Then we get to the book of Acts and the day of Pentecost that we read about the Holy Spirit falls on believers, and because of this, all people are brought into the house of God. All people become part of the family. Sons and daughters, old and young, rich and poor, all are part of this family of God. The New Testament continues to unfold. In the epistles, Paul teaches individual biological families how to live differently in light of the gospel, how children and parents are to treat each other, how husbands and wives are to live in their marriages, and how even you're to treat the domestic help in your midst. The gospel impacts families. And then Paul, remember, whenever he addressed the church, what did he call them? Brothers and sisters. It's because we're family. And then we get to John in his first letter to the church, and we hear about this multi-generational community, the strengths of different generations coming together as Christian family. The point is this. In Jesus Christ, God is healing the rifts of the human family and creating a new family, the family of God, and it is multi-generational. 
You know, in the early church and in many churches today, brothers and sisters of all ages gather in worship, fellowship, and service together. However, in many of our more affluent, particularly North American larger churches, we see something else. With resources and staff to host programs and break out into age stage groups, we see the church often being segregated according to generations. Now there is a reason for this. A while back, church growth strategist, looking at sociological ways of viewing the church, determined that there was something they called the homogeneous unit principle. The homogeneous unit principle was this idea that if you want to grow a church, you plant it among people who are the same age and stage and ethnic background, because then the church will grow quickly. And certainly this has been true in many examples, but I've had to wonder, is it always a good thing? Or is there something else at work here? Friends, it is our natural tribal instinct to gather with people who are just like us. We love that, that's what we gravitate toward. People who are in the same age and the stage, people who have the same skin color, people who have the same level of education and income, This is natural and normal, but these divisions are also subject to sin and corruption. Churches that divide too easily into age and stage can deteriorate into ghettoization, tribalism, alienation, and worse. Against these tragic tribal tendencies, God is doing something else. To redeem the human family, God is bringing us together across these divides. Now let's make no mistake. We can gather in age and stage fellowships and we do that in this congregation and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Don't don't mishear me. In this church, we've had our mariners and our prospectors, the senior adult fellowships. We've had our Silver Threads Luncheon, the Annex University Ministry. We've had middle school club and high school fishy. We've had our young couples groups and our empty nest fellowships. All of them well and good. We have all benefited from them. These groups have a purpose, but we can't mistake these subgroups for the gathered community of the multi-generational congregation. You know, there's a danger here. There's a dark side. Again, if we look at our normal penchant for dividing the church and making it more like ourselves, there's a danger here. We want the church, when we want the church to be just like us, We gravitate away from service as our ideal to serve us as our mentality. It reminds me of a YouTube video I saw years ago, and it's worth seeing again. It's called Me Church. Let's take a look at it. I'm serious. If I'm enjoying, I'm gonna take 
it's the big day. All right, you join now and we'll get you there. Do you see the problem? Me Church is a church that's designed for my personal preferences, reflecting my likes and dislikes. This is not the church of Jesus Christ. Me Church is curated Christianity, a boutique belief that leaves us in self-centered division. Me Church reverses the grand story of the Bible where God seeks to heal and transform the family and make it not about us. And sadly, this self-centered tendency of me, church, is brought right into our corporate worship experience. For decades, churches in North America in particular have gone through what we have sadly called the worship wars. Have you heard about that? The worship wars. It's where we divide often on generational lines about our musical preferences in worship. And friends, this is so sad. Musical preferences are personal and powerful. I get that. We do get that. However, however, we can't allow that to divide us because church multi-generationally is just too important. And that's why in the sandbox we've had in worship experimentation, continuing to this very moment, we have been offering a blended service, one blended service. And I know the old joke about blended services, believe me, in a blended service that goes, you have opportunity to offend everyone equally. But more seriously, in a blended service, there is a blessing. And many of you have told us that. You've written us emails at the church staff, and you've said, many of you older, how great it is to see the young people, the kids in worship, and their parents. And some of the younger people have said how great it is to be among the older folks and to share in the liturgy and the great hymns of the church. Friends, younger people need the great hymns of the church. Younger people need the classical music tradition we've heard already this morning. These are gifts. And may I also say that older people, older people need the energy and the enthusiasm, the spontaneity of the younger people's music. And where else can you put these young and old together but in a family called the church? Besides, if we divide along musical lines, that is just so sad because music preferences change. They are fickle. Before we moved here 20 years ago, uh, I pastored a church, mostly Grang, in Oakland, California. And our church session, the Board of Elders, got a letter from a young man who had been at a church camp that summer where they had been playing a lot of the new music, the new Christian music that that generation liked. And this young man wrote the elders of the church and said, why can't we have music like this in our main church service on a Sunday morning. And here's the kicker. That letter was written in 1950. (laughs) And the music that was in question was this new song making the rounds. It was called, How Great Thou Art. (laughs) Do you get my point? We can't allow music to divide the church. We've got to move beyond the worship wars. And we have the gift and challenge of one blended service now. And it takes work and it takes effort and goodwill on everyone's part. And so we need to stop our grumbling and our complaining. If you don't like the music one particular Sunday, come back the next Sunday because it's going to be different. Okay? 
Young people need these, the great hymns of our church. They need the witness of older people, and it goes in both directions. And let me just say, for my older friends here, if you think there's too much repetition in young people's church music, often you're right, but may I remind you about Handel's Hallelujah Chorus? <laughs> there's a lot of repetition there, all right? Friends, I am the product of the multi-generational church. I came to faith in college and I was discipled by a campus parachurch ministry. A lot of us undergraduates, however, were drawn to the preaching of Earl Palmer at First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley, California. And we joined the church, a number of us. And one of the first things we did when we joined was to be given a new member sponsor. And I had a middle-aged couple that sort of showed me the ropes of how life in that church went. And all week long, I'd been with people my age and stage as an undergraduate. But when I got to the church, I got to mix it up with people of all ages, a church family. Later on, I got the great privilege in seminary to be mentored by a lot of retired Presbyterian ministers, including Dr. Robert Boyd Munger, uh, who used to pastor at Berkeley First Press. And Dr. Bob and Edie took Rupali and me under their wings as newly married couple. And uh, they, they, they coached us in life and ministry. We'll always be grateful. And then I became a pastor, as I've mentioned, of a mostly older congregation. I was only 28 years old at the time. And these older folks embraced me. And I got to know the greatest generation, uh, the World War veter two veterans and their spouses. And they loved me as their pastor. They loved on me and they coached me in how to be a pastor. They prayed with me and they prayed for me and I'll never forget them. And now I do congregational care, among other things, here at this church, and I get to spend time with many of you who are older, and it's a treasure. It's a gift. And I wish just everybody could get to do that in this church, and we can more than we do. Friends at Grace Commons, we are privileged to gather as a multi-generational community, and we do this in so many different ways. We do it in our common space groups, those small group Bible studies that meet on Zoom. They were developed during the pandemic, and a lot of you have gotten to know people outside of your age and stage through those groups. They're coming again. Look for them. We gather in multi-generational community at Men's Life. Men's Life, where we get to gather old and young for a talk and breakfast and small group time. It's marvelous. The mops do that here, the mothers of preschoolers. And how I, I, I love the mops moms, these older women who disciple, nurture, care for, and support these young moms and their kids. Brilliant. And then we have our senior adult roots ministry under the able leadership of Libby Brown. Libby saw the need to bring the generations together, and so she got college-age kids from our church to come and teach older adults how to use smartphones and get on the internet. <laughs> Wonderful. What a great way to do that. We've got other fun examples here, a couple quick slides. First is party in the parking lot. This is always fun, we do this, It'll, it's coming up September 11th where we all get together after church, have lunch, have fun. We do this, for we did it last year with trunk or treat. Some of you will remember that we had older folks uh, dress up in costumes for Halloween and decorate their cars and kids came and trick or treated in our church parking lot. And then, of course, there's Sunday school ministry, a third slide, uh, volunteering in other programs, mixing it up intergenerationally. And then, you know, this September, you've been hearing about our 150th 
anniversary celebration. Talk about multi-generational. We're 150 years old in Boulder, this congregation. And we're going to have a whole bunch of events in a symposium where we can hear from others who we've launched in previous generations how God is working through them in the world. And lastly, we have an ice cream social coming up next Sunday, 11 a.m. No, it's not too early to eat ice cream. <laughs> Come to church at 10, at 11 or so. We'll meet next door in the atrium. We're going to have an ice cream social. Let me urge you to get to know somebody outside your age and stage. Friends, there's only one church of Jesus Christ, and it is multi-generational. In the multi-generational church, we see the beginnings of healing in the human family. So may we keep together what God has united. Are you on board? Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful thing you're doing through our churches, bringing them all together, bringing us into the one family of God. May we have that vision to not only see that, but also to step into it and embrace it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.